e-commerce landscape has transformed into a versatile and unique space, offering today's companies, large and small, an opportunity to increase sales and grow their business. This podcast offers an exciting opportunity for PriceBrider to unite and empower the e-commerce community at large by providing insights in a thoughtful and accessible way, all with the aim of providing immense value to brand manufacturers and retailers alike. Hi, this is Anthony Capizzoli with the Price Spider E-Commerce Connected Podcast, and I am proud to say that I have Mr. Sean Dawes, the co-founder of ModernEuros.com. He's a wonderful retailer. He's going to come and talk about all the great things that he does strategically for, or as a retailer rather, to vet out brands when he decides to carry them, and all the great things he does to make sure that everyone's following the rules. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, you and I met at SEMA, and we were co-panelists together at that wonderful trade show. It was awesome out in Las Vegas, and uh, I learned a lot from you. And I thought, who better to have on the show than you, sir, to talk about all the great things that you shared in the panel? <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot, but I thought, you know, I'll let's just let the listeners kind of listen to you and talk about all the great things that you do because you really are taking a unique approach as a retailer, and as you stated so eloquently at SEMA you have an offense and a defense where your pricing and brand integrity is concerned with the brands that you carry as a retailer. Yeah, sure. So I think uh, the growing trend that sadly is starting to come up for those who are in the e-commerce space, you know, the rise of drop shipping models are, are growing and growing, you know, the rise of Alibaba and the ability for people to pretty much private label. And when I say private label, literally buy something, put a, put a sticker on it and resell it very easily is uh, kind of on the rise. So for a business like ourselves who are in the reselling category where we partner with brands and then we, you know, we mark up their products based on our uh, full sale discount and sell it at retail cost to the customers with the rise of uh, competition coming in space and competition that is um, more and more bootstrapped, meaning uh, almost anyone, you know, uh, I always joke and say a, a warm body with an EIN number can sell anything anymore on the internet. Um, <laughs> It, it, it's starting to become a problem, right? Because businesses like myself, which, you know, I do have co-founders and we bootstrapped from day one years ago, you know, our operating expenses get quite hefty. You know, our, our marketing budgets are, you know, more than uh, many companies' annual revenues. And when you have someone enter a space, you know, even um, it's twofold. When you have someone entering the space that has no operating expenses, uh, meaning someone who just happens to have a Shopify store, a big commerce store, these uh, out-of-the-box platforms that are, relatively easy to get up with a free theme and $100 a month and a credit card, um, you're able to start getting wholesale accounts and selling products. And what is starting to occur in the marketplace, um, you know, besides just generally marking products lower than they're allowed to be advertised at, you're having competitiveness occur in the social media marketplaces where you're seeing in Facebook groups and, you know, Instagram and any social media channel that's possible. You're having what I call, um, the vultures, so to speak, yeah. where a, a customer or a potential customer might be posting a screenshot of a larger retailer in the space and saying, hey, I'm thinking about buying this. Who can give me a better deal? And you're seeing comments and comments of individuals that are saying that they can facilitate the transaction. And when you actually start diving a little bit deeper into this, you know, you, you click on, say, that individual's per, uh, Facebook profile or whatever social media account you're realizing that, you know, they might be working at a uh, fast food joint or, or some job is listed under their, their Facebook account that you go, wait a second here, something's not right. Uh, you know, how are they able to get this product at, um, you know, at a good attractive cost and then sell it for maybe $10 over cost or something like that. Um, 
and, and what naturally is starting to occur is it's cannibalization of, of sales. You know, we're spending the time, the money uh, for marketing or salespeople or customer service and all these different areas. And when it comes to get the transaction, the customer is just price shopping and getting it behind, you know, almost like a backdoor type of deal. So that is a huge problem. And, you know, I always call it like, um, you know, salesmen in boxers or, or, or like bargain basement, but like really guys like or girls working out of their basement or out of their garage. And I'm all for a bootstrap startup in the garage, you know, a la Apple. Absolutely. We started out of a vet hospital. No joke. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not joking. Uh, but <laughs> the, space. yeah, exactly. And, and I think that so one of the things that I learned from you is that you take not only go out and kind of help monitor for people going rogue in different kinds of groups or wherever it might be uh, from like, I'm going to say chat rooms just kind sure. of covers everything uh, is, is a primary focus, but also that you actually strategically monitor marketplaces and other online retailers to, and, and share that information back with the brand strategically to kind of help them monitor um, above and beyond what they might be using as a technology. Right, exactly. So, I mean, obviously in the United States, you know, anyone who has any idea of round pricing policies and stuff like that, the very first thing that's going to pop up is antitrust and all that stuff. You know, I'm not a lawyer, you're not a lawyer. You know, this is all just educational purposes. But, you know, at the end of the day, companies need to make profit, right? So, you know, it is the U.S. economy, it's, you know, uh, free trade, you can do business with whoever you want. But at the end of the day, if manufacturers don't have any margins or any profit and retailers don't have any profit, the businesses are ultimately going to die, right? So for us, you know, by protecting margins and protecting our profit and our partner's profit, in this case being the manufacturers, we're just ensuring a long-term business relationship, you know? And, you know, a long-term healthy business relationship means we can grow, we can provide and invest into areas that improve our customer experience, you know? I can make up a whole ton of different examples, but, you know, you can invest into better customer service, better, you know, website experience, maybe better um, policies, faster shipping rates, and, you know, all these things that improve the customer experience and the manufacturer can improve um, not only designing new products, they can spend money into R&D, but they can improve current products. Or maybe if they start doing a little bit more volume, they can improve pricing. So, you know, making money isn't a bad thing. I think what occurs is you have these people that are just trying to make a quick buck, so to speak, and it causes market devaluation of that brand. So for us, you know, a strong offense, meaning let's say paid search, you know, our background is in digital customer acquisition heavily in paid search and organic search, you know, that's very, very important, but it's equally as important to have strong relationships and a good defense. I mean, whether you're into football or not, you know, you have to have a good offense and defense, you know, if your defense sucks, and, you know, they're scoring a touchdown on every drive. And even though you have a good offense, you're still going to lose the game. Um, so for us, it started to uh, partner better with our manufacturers and say, look, what does it look like if we're in their shoes? And any kind of business relationship that we have with our manufacturers now, we treat it like that. A lot of retailers see it as one-sided. Um, a lot of WDs see it as one-sided where they just go back to the manufacturer and say, well, we need more margin. You know, just give us more margin because we can't compete with so-and-so. And I don't think that's the solution because ultimately you're driving more and more profit out of the manufacturer. So they're just ultimately being squeezed and the consumer is forcing you into the ground from a pricing standpoint and eventually it's just going to burst. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, you, you can even see this in other verticals. Like you, you see, like uh, compare like Uber and Lyft, they battle over prices all the time. And those companies are bleeding cash on a yearly 
um, thing. You know, the, the relationships between the drivers, meaning the product in this case and the company, it's just, it's just a, uh, it's a nightmare. So by us forming these relationships and saying, look, you know, more specifically, we don't look for exclusive contracts. You know, a lot of retailers say, let's tie this up under an exclusivity. We say, we don't want exclusivity because by not having exclusivity, we can actually grow our overall sales by having a competitor. And I always apply the easy case study of Pepsi and Coke, right? If you go into a supermarket, they carry Pepsi and Coke generally. Um, and that's because with one helps the other grow its revenue. So we just apply that same type of logic of saying, pick strategic distribution that are good businesses that are going to help you grow your catalog and let's work together and trim the bad business relationships. And that's, you know, has been a great success for us. We have clearly seen a revenue increase by helping manufacturers clean up their distribution network. No, I, I, I love it. And some of those great examples that came up while we were together at SEMA uh, were were really enlightening for me. And one of the things I thought was most interesting um, was that you will actually, if you have a brand that you're carrying, I'm not going to name any brands because sure. that's not what this is about, but if you have a brand that you that you carry mm -hmm. uh, and that brand has a map policies and they, and they don't enforce the policy, you will work to replace that brand with a like brand that does have a policy that they do enforce and help other retailers do the same. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it, um, you know, we're to the point where we're large enough that we can, you know, we have a lot of traffic, we have a lot of transactions. So there's a lot of data for us to leverage, right? You know, and uh, we sell automotive parts. So we sell things, you know, whether the, the listeners are really in tune to the automotive market, but we sell like air intakes, wheels, exhaust products. Um, we're able to see what customers want to buy. And we're also able to see you know, customer feedback on products, whether it be by brand, by type, you know, and this goes back to like shape, color, you know, all the different features are of each individual category. Um, and we're able to say, look, we have, you know, potentially maybe three or four brands that are in the same category. And, you know, this is like a loss leader for us. Why are we even carrying it when we can replace it with somebody else? Or if there's nobody in that exact niche that we needed a product for, Go to a brand that's one of our strong partners and say, look, I think you need to develop this and this is what you need to do. You need to be at this price point. This is how it needs to be designed. And let's work together to penetrate that, you know, that little sector of the marketplace for you. Because this, you know, this brand or this partner is just useless to us. It's amazing. I, I, I love that you take that proactive approach. Uh, where truly the high tide raises all ships here. And I love the fact that you work with other retailers to help them kind of uh, I'm not going to say be better competitors, but certainly going to be uh, better colleagues in the space almost. I, I, th that approach is unique. I, I, I bet there's not many retailers that are doing what you're doing. No, most retailers, and if you look at many of the big box retailers, they're actually doing something somewhat opposite, you know, and I can name a few and I'm not speaking on their exact strategies, but I'll just name some name brands that are kind of mainstream. You know, if you look at like Lowe's and Home Depot, Home Depot has a successive, uh, or successful rather, um, lawn care uh, product line Echo. They may manufacture weed whackers and, and stuff like that. Lowe's has Alan Roth on the interior design stuff. Um, they do like blinds and shades and all that stuff. But what they're doing is they're data mining, right? So they're saying, okay, we sell, and I'm not really in tune to these <laughs> industries that well, but right. you know, we're, we're selling brand A of you know shutters at Lowe's or we're selling brand A, B, and C. And we're seeing that the customers like this feature, that feature. Let's just private label it because we have control of margins, we have control of private di or distribution rather, and let's just solve all these problems without having to work with the brand. And that's why they're doing private label is it's a margin play and it's a control play. 
And for us, you know, that's not something that we don't necessarily have experience with. But with private label manufacturing comes a, a few things. It comes capital intensive. No matter how much money you have, it's capital intensive. And it also is a manpower thing. You have to have R&D departments. You have to have marketing you know, assets to go with it. And all these other things that come around building a whole separate company within a company. And at the end of the day, you know, going after private label, you might pick up another 20 or 30 percentage points on the product line. But if you work with manufacturers and say, look, just give me a slightly a little bit more margin, but not as much as that you would give a WD in the space. In fact, actually, um, at our SEMA talk, one of the WDs was happy to share, you know, the percentage points that they look for. But you could say, don't give me what you were going to give a WD, let's say 60 points, because the WD is then giving out, say, 30 points to their top retailer. Give me 40 or 50 so you save that 10 or 20 point spread, and that allows us to do market adjustments to the price for the product, which makes it more attractive. And if it's more attractive, you have higher velocity. You have higher velocity, you drive down your manufacturing costs. So ultimately, the manufacturer will actually make even more money on top of the spread if they can hit higher velocity. And two, it allows for you to do periodic sales because in the U.S. economy, at least, thanks to good old Amazon, customers are very price intensive and they want everything cheap and they want everything fast. With many manufacturers, they're unable to actually do sales pricing routinely outside of, let's say, Black Friday, because they just don't have the margins. They're getting squeezed by the distributors. They're getting squeezed by the customer because you're having all these. I mean, there's a whole slew. There's, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but you have like Ebates, which is owned now by Rakuten. You have um, Honey, which is a browser extension for promo codes. You have all these things, Ibotta for the grocery sector, and it's just driving down that price. Manufacturers are eating it through rebates, coupon codes, and all these things, and you're just driving down the, the retail price of the product, which ultimately squeezes those manufacturers and those retailers. So, you know, by doing some of these things, it's it's almost a way of um, adjusting your market price, you know, by being able to bring your prices down for the customer, as well as keep everyone healthy and profitable. It's, uh, it's really impressive. And I know one of the things that you said, you have certain criteria that you look at from a brand's perspective before you even take on a new brand or whether to retain the brand is uh, pricing policy, yes or no, enforced pricing policy, yes or no, uh, margins that you could offer, or is there competition in the space? So you do kind of, you eat your own dog food in that capacity, which I think is uh there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll initially take a look at a brand and we'll just uh, do like market research. You know, we'll take a look and say, what are the margins? And then we just start looking at their distribution. We'll send them a report back after we take a look and say, you know, here's your distribution. Here's what's occurring in the marketplace. If, for instance, let's say there's map violators, we'll send that to them. You know, there, there's some legalities over map and there can't be communication. But, you know, if we file some reports saying, here's your known violators and you wait you know, two, three weeks and you see nothing happening, that's a good indication that, you know, nothing's being cracked down. Um, right. So those are things that, that we look at. So how long do you give, uh, this might be a little bit of a self-serving question on sure. my side, so forgive me on this, but how long do you give a brand to kind of get things in order from a map policy perspective? If let's say that they have one or they're new to it, either way, uh, they didn't have any teeth on it before, like how long do you give them to get things straightened out before you kind of say, all right, that's enough? Yeah, I mean, it, it's really dependent. That's kind of like a loaded question because obviously if it's a brand, for instance, that we sell competing products for, we'll just cut them. You know, we have no problem just cutting them. But if it's a brand that's what's called like a category filler, meaning like that's really the only option for this pro- specific product for this type of customer, um, we'll try to, um, you know, ultimately we'll just try to keep it. It might just turn into a non-stockable product. So meaning it's just filling our catalog so it can fill out a shopping experience and it becomes 100% drop shipped. 
from the manufacturer, meaning like we have no financial risk. We're not spending any money on advertising. We're not putting any any physical effort into the product. It's just in the catalog. If someone happens to buy it, they buy it. Right. No, I, I, I love it. And then uh, the last thing I want to talk about today, and we're going to have a, a future segments, is you have a unique approach to helping brands get started with their pricing policy from kind of offloading some of those warehousing costs and inventory costs that they might maintain. Um, if it's okay to talk about that, I'd yeah, love sure. to have you share some of that strategy. Yeah, so I think overall, and I think that's where, and this isn't kind of like an endorsement for, for PriceBiter. I mean, to, to be honest, and I'm sure you share it as well, like we don't use PriceBiter, but we use similar tactics ourselves. So, I mean, web yep. scraping is a great way to monitor um, pricing for sure. Um, but you know, with the rise in all these problems, manufacturers are getting bombarded with all these other tasks that are outside of their warehouse rather. You know, and I think that's why companies like Price Spider or you know competing products that you know are out there exist is because the manufacturer is being flooded now, you know, or traditionally they were just built on RD and you know, uh, getting inventory in, and then the inventory was then dispersed through WDs and then goes to retailers and so forth. That's how it trickled down. Um, but now uh, a manufacturer is not only having to do that, but they're also having to do more marketing because the competition's becoming harder and harder with the rise of private label. Manufacturers are now trying to enforce pricing policies because their distribution is so um, uh, spread out that they don't have any control over it anymore because the WDs, there's a veil between them and the retailer now because everyone uses wholesale distributors. And it's hard for them to maintain the enforcement and the monitoring. That's why you're seeing these services pop up. You know, they're drop shipping more because all these small businesses that pop up that are just websites, they're not stocking anything. So what's happening is they're just drop shipping. So the manufacturer is now turning into a mini fulfillment center. Um, so one of the things that we've done to kind of offload some of this stuff is we've said only for our top brands, we said, well, let's handle some of that for you. You need to focus on R&D manufacturing and, you know, getting the inventory in from whether you're manufacturing yourself, importing from overseas or within the United States. And let us worry about what our job should be, which is marketing, closing the transaction and shipping that box. So all those services within those categories is what we've started to do, meaning send the inventory to us. We're not going to charge you to hold it. We'll offload it because a lot of times they're getting stuff, especially from overseas and shipment containers and stuff like that. And their facilities were never designed to be fulfillment centers. So they're literally just maxed out and they're to the point where, you know, they try to have fulfillment centers or, oh, we need to get another warehouse. So we've been starting to do those types of programs where we're saying, just send it to us. Let's offload that problem for you. Um, and it's become successful because once again, we're looking at it from their standpoint saying, if I was in their shoes, what problems do I have and what can this retailer solve for me? This is a wonderful conversation, but we're right at the 18-minute mark, 19-minute mark. Um, so I'm going to stop us here today, but everyone should know that we're going to have multiple uh, segments with Mr. Sean Dawes, the co-founder of ModdedEuros.com, and you can find him at Modded, M-O-D-D-E-D-E-U-R-O-S.com. And uh, once you get there, Sean, can I share your email address real quick? Sure, or no, no problem. It's Sean S. E-A-N at moddeneuros.com. So Sean, thank you very much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been an excellent segment. It's been my pleasure. I look forward to uh, a lot of future segments talking about how to help retailers work with the right brands that are supporting and, um, and being good team players uh, in the marketplace. So this has been great. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You bet, buddy. Thank you. Thank you.